Um, let me pray for us. Let's get in the Word. Father God, uh, Lord, as we come back and do Ecclesiastes today, Lord, uh, we are going to hit some challenging things, some hard things. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would not push them aside or assign them to other people or find a reason uh, not to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that you would speak, and as you speak, that we would hear from you and respond uh, with love and obedience, even in things that challenge us. And we pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I was a kid, there was a big special on TV uh, called The Mystery of Al Capone's Vault, hosted by Geraldo Rivera. Who remembers The Mystery of Al Capone's Vault, okay? Uh, Al Capone, the famous Chicago gangster, lived in the Lexington Hotel, downtown Chicago, for a number of years up until his death. And when they were tearing down the Lexington in the mid-80s, they found a secret tunnel behind a bathroom uh, in Capone. It led to a shooting range and also a sealed vault. Rumor had it that Capone had a secret treasure that he'd hidden somewhere, and he was also responsible for the disappearance of several people. So perhaps... The vault was going to hold gold bars, uh, stolen jewels, piles of cash, or even the skeletons of missing people. So for several hours, Geraldo, flanked by IRS agents, medical examiners, uh, demolition workers, he kept 30 million people, one of the biggest TV audiences of all time, 30 million people transfixed as they worked on the vault. Experts weighed in with their opinions. Legends of Capone's secret wealth were uh, shared to keep the audience engaged. I remember as a kid being on the edge of my seat wanting to find out the big mystery. And when they finally broke through into Al Capone's vault, what did they find? Bupkis. Nothing, right? Some empty bottles and a lot of debris. It was a long chase or nothing. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which we've been looking at in our series called Money, Sex, and Power, we hear this argument from King Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, who had every pleasure he wanted, armies to command, entertainment that anything he wanted, intellectual conversation, gourmet delights, fine wines, whatever. And he declared all of it Al Capone's vault, empty chasing after the wind. A brief excitement followed by a crushing letdown. Today we're going to do something I wish I could have done with TV in 1986. We're going to skip to the end of Ecclesiastes, where we get to hear Solomon's answer to the question. I was talking to my wife about this this week, and she's like, are you just going to keep going through Ecclesiastes? She's like, are you ever going to tell us what do we do about it? She's like, I'm tired of everything is meaningless. Tell me something I can do. So in honor of Elizabeth Ritchie today, we're skipping to the end of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, <laughs> yay, no Bible, good. Uh, we're going to get to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, right? And here's been Solomon's been saying, and he keeps saying it all throughout. He goes, everything is meaningless, so what do we do about it? And here's what he says. Pick it up in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. He says this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, 
When the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Solomon begins chapter 12 with something you don't have to be rich or wise to know. Everybody gets old. Strong men eventually stoop over. Your eyesight, it's going to go. Did you catch that? He says, when you're old, you'll wake up early and see the birds, but you won't be able to hear them. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I loved roller coasters. And I always wanted to go to the amusement park, but I couldn't drive myself to the theme park. When I was in college, I could drive myself, but I couldn't afford to go in. Now I can both drive myself and afford to go, but I can't fit on half of them, and they make me dizzy. Everybody gets old. Eventually, all of us will die. Some may live longer than others, but in the great scheme of things, it's just a blip. As my wife likes to say, nobody gets out of here alive. I've told her to stop saying that on airplanes, but you get the point, right? Everyone I have ever known has gotten old. Every kid I know has grown up. It's weird watching Alyssa sing this morning. I've known Alyssa since she's five years old. right? And when I see her, I'm like, how are you growing up? I'm still surprised by it. I watch her drive a car and go, you can't drive a car. You're five years old. Right? What are you doing here? Everyone grows up, right? And eventually, all the things we chase, all the money we chase, all the sex we chase, all the power we chase, we won't even care if we catch it. Trying to hold on to this life is a fool's game. We all know this. So Solomon gives us some wisdom. He says, remember your creator. It's funny to think that we could ever even forget our creator. But he says, remember your creator. Right, I have this experience. How many of you guys are parents in here? You ever have a conversation with your kids? And I remember talking to John, and uh, he said, we were talking about something in Disney World. And he goes, man, I goes, it's not fair that I never got to go to Disney World. And I was like, you absolutely went to Disney World. I've been there with you. But he doesn't remember. He was little. He doesn't remember the thing. He goes, no one ever did anything for me. I changed your diapers. I did. They don't remember, right? And it's especially hard for young people to remember. He says, remember your creator in your youth. When you're a young person and it feels like you can do whatever you want, and it seems like you've got so many days, I remember when I was 16 thinking, man, I can't imagine when I'm 35. For those of you who are young in here, you know, if you play it out, like to your mid-30s, to your 40s, it seems impossible, doesn't it? Who will I ever be when I grow up? You know what's crazy now? I'm 48 now. And I'm like, man, 35, right? That was great. I could, like, pick things up off the floor. Now if something drops, I'm like, eh, it probably belongs there, right? He says, remember your creator when you're young. 
There's a special blessing to acknowledging God as a young person. I want to say that to those of you who are young here. There's a special blessing to that, to not be in the position of going, oh, I wish I had done this when I was young. You are young. There's a blessed time, and it's when you're young. And we go like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make peace with God when I get old. Look, everyone deals with God when they're old. I, I've been at too many bedsides of people who were dying to tell you. But everybody, I don't care how anti-God they are, when they're on, on your deathbed, you deal with God. However how proud you were before, on your deathbed, you deal with God. It happens to everybody, right? But few of us, when we're young, think about that moment. But here's the thing. You actually have way more to lose by ignoring God when you're young. Because you could have your whole life with the creator of the universe. Directing your path. That doesn't give you less life. It gives you greater you have your whole life with him if you remember him when you're young. You will remember him when you get old. That's the way it goes. There's a blessing to remembering him when you're young. Look at verse 6. He says, Remember him, the creator, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Everything is meaningless. He says, remember your creator. Solomon says, everything is meaningless. Because everything, our, our bodies, our wealth, our works, all of those things are meaningless because, because they're temporary. Because they break. They wear out. They run their course. Every great structure, I don't care if it lasts 100 years or 1,000 years, you might say, well, the pyramids are still standing. They won't stand forever. Everything becomes dust. Everyone gets old. Everything eventually wears out and breaks. Everything goes back to dust. So what? Here's what it says in verse 9. It says, not only was the teacher wise but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and, and what he wrote was upright and true. He's kind of building up his own resume here. He says, The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Solomon calls our attention to his resume in the end because he knows how hard this wisdom is to listen to. When you tell people uh, everything temporary is pointless, they push back against that because most of what we do is temporary. When you tell people that only eternity matters... People pull back from that because that's harder stuff. I don't, I don't want to do it. He goes, but the words here, he goes, I mean them like a goad. A goad is like a, a stick that you use to move a stubborn animal forward. Who's the stubborn animal in this situation? Us. Right? Because no matter how much we know things are temporary, we still chase them. Now, how matter how much we all agree that we're going to die someday and that eternity is more important than now, we still focus on this life. And yet Solomon hopes to goad us, to poke us, to get us to lift our heads out of the concerns of this world to something greater and grander. 
to move our eyes from the temporary to the eternal. And verse 12 is kind of funny. He says, can you have verse 12 back up there? He says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. You know, I read this, and I'm like, how weird is that? How many books did even existed in Solomon's time? Not that many, especially compared to today. Think about all the information we have today, all the books that are available, all the podcasts, all the websites, all the information you can get. It's a flood, and Solomon says, be warned of them. Be warned of the things beyond Scripture because all of them, or many of them, most of them, are about the temporary. He says, uh, the things that we care about today, right? The books that we're about today, they're all about, hey, how do, I, how do I help myself in this world? How do I clean out my closet or uh, lose that weight or find the right relationship? They're all about temporary things that are going to clutter up the real conversation. And yes, is this an excuse for me to not clean up my closet or go on a diet? Yes, yes it is, right? He says, but people write books today to scratch their itch that we have right now. The thing that we're worried about, oh, you know, if only I was a little bit skinnier, if only I had a better financial planning, if only I was a, a little more, if only I had things that sparked joy in my closet, right? Then I would be truly content. And we get testimonials from people who've done those things. We're like, oh, and now I'm truly free. Are you? Did, did having an organized closet change your eternity? Did losing that last 20 pounds make eternity a better place? Did it make you a different person? Is everything better now, forever? Or do you still have problems? Is there still broken things? See, he goes, most of the books that are written, they're trying to sell you that book. But Scripture is not concerned about its sales or whether or not we like it. It concerns itself with truth, with useful instruction, with revealing the nature and plan of God. And that's why Solomon has spent 12 chapters telling us about the meaningless of everything, meaninglessness of everything. Ecclesiastes spends so much time telling us how pointless all of our temporary pursuits are because we won't listen. We quickly turn the page and find something that we like how it sounds. Look, we know this, we know this move, right? I, I'm not someone who loves school, and maybe young people here can relate. You know when you have a subject in school that you just don't like, and it's just all confusion to you? You're like, I'll do anything except this. I was never any good at grammar. Uh, especially like the tenses of words in other languages. Uh, I speak some Spanish, uh, but pretty much I only speak Spanish in the present tense. Uh, if I wanted to speak in the past, I should have said it yesterday, right? Thank you. <laughs> but I remember I was taking Spanish. You have to learn things like these tenses. Like I had to learn the past imperfect subjunctive, right? If it was imperfect, I should have learned to say it right, right? Not as good. Okay. <laughs> so when I do that stuff, right, when I had grammar homework to do for Spanish class, you know what I would do? Anything else, right? I'd make a snack. I'd clean my room. I'd do the other classes that I liked. I'd find anything else that I liked, and I'd do that instead. When I'm talking to my kids and I'm like, hey, John, I want you to clean your room, he'd be like, ah, no, I don't want to clean my room. But if I say, hey, let's do your math homework, he's like, ooh, can I clean my room? Right? It's like the way to get his room clean is to assign a harder task, that he'd rather do that. You guys know this, right? 
It's a parenting tip right there, right? Many of us, right, do that with the Word of God. We skip the tough stuff, and we find something else, something we want to hear, something less than the Word, something a friend of ours said, or a self-help book, or a TV doctor to say what we want to hear. So my consequences for never really getting my grammar right in Spanish is that my Spanish stinks now. And I wish it was better. I wish it was better so I could connect with people on a deeper level. I'm speaking at a Spanish-language church next week, right? And after that, after that sermon, I'm going to want to talk to people. But all I can do in Spanish is have surface conversations. So I can talk to them about, I can talk to someone who only speaks Spanish about whether their cousin went to the library or not. That's something I can say. But can I talk about the heart-rending grief over the loss of their mom? Can I talk about theological concerns that someone might have? Of, of are we chosen by God or do we choose? I can't. Because I never did the work to get good enough to have those kind of conversations, right? Here's the deal. If we always skip the hard stuff from God, we can only have surface relationship with God. We can never really get to the heart level stuff. We can talk to God about little tips and tricks how to get through our day, but we're never going to lift our head above our concerns of right now. And so when we, Solomon says, I need to goad you into this conversation, because I know you don't want to go there. I want to keep doing the temporary things I've been doing. I want to keep chasing the money, sex, and power I've been chasing. And he says, no, 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 we've got to do better than this. We need to go deeper. We need to let it hurt a little bit. I want to goad you into it so that you can have greater, deeper, more intimate relationship with God. So let me goad you. I'm going to goad you here. You and I have wasted most of our lives. We spend our time, our effort, our resources, mostly on things that don't matter. Here's what Solomon has to say. Here's the closing of the book, the last bit of wisdom from the wisest who ever lived. He says, now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What does Solomon say about this life? What matters? He says what matters is connection with God. What happens after this life? He says after this life you will stand before him and answer for what you did. Only what is eternal matters. Solomon says, fear God and keep his commandments. God's law is good. It's how we're called to live. It's a blessing for us. And it demonstrates our relationship with God. We obey him because we love him. Here's how Jesus puts it in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Solomon talks about the futility of chasing money and power and sex because they are small and temporary things. Jesus calls us to keep the commandments because they create, they maintain relationship with God. He says, when you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Those things are together. It's that our will is subject to the will of God. We've surrendered to his authority in our life. Not that we keep them perfectly. They are indicators of relationship with God. When they asked Jesus what the greatest commandments were, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love God and love others. That's what you're called to in this life. I found this last bit to be very practical. A good lens to make decisions. You see, God's going to judge everything at the end. And that's a day that will come from all, for all of us. Now, we don't know what that day is, but I think it's a good lens for us to say, I want to live today in a way that I'll be proud of on that day. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I played high school football, and uh, we'd play our game on uh, Friday or Saturday, and you have a conversation. Hey, how'd you play? How'd your game go, right? And you tell people how it went. I did this and I did that. And you might tell the truth, you might tell your version of what happened, but then, then on Monday, you know what we did? We watched film. Our team would sit down and watch the film of the game. You know what the film of the game tells you? What you actually did. I could say, man, I dominated my guy. But then I'd watch the film <laughs> and be like, man, I did not dominate my guy. <laughs> Hey, how'd you play? Oh, I hustled every play. Well, there I am not hustling. There I am not hustling. There I am distracted by the cheerleaders, right? At the end of the day, the film told the tale. But it started something in me, right? Our coach would call you out about things he saw in the film. He'd stop it and go, hey, watch, uh, watch number 73. That was my number. Watch 73 right here. He did something good. Watch 73 right here. He did something terrible. And that gets in your mind when you're playing the next Friday. You go, I want to look good on the film. I want the true story to be the best story, right? When it comes to our life, God says, someday you'll stand before me and answer for your life. Eternity is all that's going to matter. So here's the spot I find myself in often. I only have limited time, right? I can't do everything. There are physical limitations of my time. So when I have a big decision about where to invest myself, how to spend my life, I try to take Solomon's advice, slow down, and ask a couple of questions. The first question is this. Does it pass the eternity test? Does it pass the eternity test? When, at the end of my life, when I stand before God, will I be proud of that thing? Is it something that's going to last? Often, the things I've invested myself in do not pass the eternity test. Sometimes it's just because it's in violation of its sin. I'm doing something that's against God. And I'm like this, or I'm doing something really trivial. It's a waste. A number of years ago, I got invited to uh, officiate a wedding for my cousin in Vermont. And we go out to the wedding. Liz and I go... And we don't really know anybody there other than a couple of family members. And so we get sat at like a random table with like a friend of the groom's aunt's, I don't know, whatever. 
And I'm talking to this guy, and he knows who I am because I'd officiated the wedding. And, and so he's mid-60s, and he says, uh, hey, can I talk to you about something, Pastor? I have a decision to make. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And uh, he goes, I've been uh, dating this woman next to me for 25 years. And I'm like, I'm thinking he's going to ask me, should I just go ahead and marry her? And I'm going to say, yeah, right? And uh, he goes, but recently I, uh, I reconnected with a, a gal I went out with in high school on Facebook. And then he shows me her picture. And he goes, should I stay with the woman I've been with for 25 years or should I go with this woman on Facebook? I think I'd be happier if I went with this lady I met on Facebook. You know what I said? So go get me a piece of cake. This is going to take a minute, okay? I think that lens, the does it make me happy lens, is one of the biggest lies that we deal with. It's one of the biggest wastes of our life. When we ask ourselves, does it make me happy, that's a temporary question, isn't it? If I, it's temporary, oh, this will make me happy if I do this. And we think of happiness as somehow being the greatest good. Well, shouldn't, if people love me, shouldn't they want me to be happy? As if that was the greatest thing that could happen. And so as we, I'm like, how many times have I made a decision like that where I'm like, I'm choosing something for a temporary happiness over an eternal good? So as we talked, I said, well, I think you have a couple of decisions to make. First, I said, number one, I think you should tell the woman you've been with for 25 years. What's going on? Maybe you guys could work on the relationship. And he goes, but this other woman is this, and this other woman is that, and I think I'll be happy. And he started to really bother me. And I finally said, let me tell you something. I said, you're an old dude, right? <laughs> I said, soon you'll be dead. And on that day, you will stand before God and answer for your life. Live today in a way that you'll be proud of on that day. The eternity test. I don't know what he did. I don't know that guy. But I know that's a question that's good for me to ask. Will I be proud of this action on the day that I stand before God? It helps me sort through things I should be a part of and things I shouldn't. Second question. Is this for my glory or is it for God's glory? Maybe it passes the eternity test. It could have some eternal value. It's not something wrong. It's not something sinful. But is it for my glory? Am I doing it for my glory or for God's glory? Two years ago, I went on sabbatical uh, for the summer. And I asked a few people I'd known who'd been on sabbatical, hey, how do you best spend your sabbatical? And about half of them said, oh, I wrote a book while I was on sabbatical. I was like, ooh, maybe I should write a book. Do you know how often I would bring up that I wrote a book, if I wrote a book? All the time. Every conversation I was in. So anyway, when I was writing my book, I had that same thought. Yeah. Where's the bathroom? You know, I asked that question often when I was writing my book, right? I would bring it up. I'm like, oh, I have a question for you, Pastor. You know what? The answer to that question, you know where it is? It's in my book. You should go ahead and read my book, right? And I knew that's exactly what would happen to me. Also, I tried writing a book for like 15 minutes, and it did not go well. And I was like, yeah, it's bad enough people have to listen to my stories in real life. They shouldn't have to also read them, right? And I recognized somewhere that the Holy Spirit convicted me that I'd be writing a book not for God's glory or that would help the kingdom in any way, but it just so that I could say I wrote a book. As if that was the accomplishment that I could list off, right? Like, this isn't for 
God's glory, it's for mine. So it doesn't pass the God's glory test, right? Those are my first two, the eternity test, the God's glory test, right? The last test, and I stole this, my wife quotes someone who says, and I can't remember who the original person, they, they asked the question, is it for me? Is this mine? Is this something I'm called to? So if it passes the eternity test, and it passes the God's glory test, then ask the question, is it something that's for me? I can only do so many things. Does it fit who I am? Is it something God's calling me to? Or is that for somebody else? Is this even my business? And so for me, I go, if, if it's new hopes, it's me. If it's my family, it's me. Most everything else, not mine. Very few things. And I have to ask myself, I'm like, is it fit who I am? Is it fit my gifts? Is it, is it the way the Holy Spirit's made me and gifted me? Is this, is this for me? And is it something that God's calling me to? Maybe it's something I could be good at, but is it something that God's calling me to? I was having a conversation with a young man the other day who was considering uh, going into a kind of ministry, and I said, let's talk about this. And, and he, goes, he goes, yeah, I'm trying to decide if I should do this uh, or not. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he, he tells me about it. I'm like, okay, that has eternal impact. Is it, I said, is it for your glory, God? Who he goes, you know, I, I, I really want to make, I said, why do you want to do this? He goes, I want more people talking about Jesus. Great, God's glory. Is this for you? It's like, I think I could be good at this. I think God's made me this way and given me this position. And I, and I said, how often do you think about it? And he goes, all the time. For the last year and a half, it's all I can think about. And I said, what's the other option? If you didn't do this, what would you do? He goes, I'd lay on my couch. He goes, and laying on your couch has a real temptation to it, doesn't it? Laying on your, you never risk anything. And God's called him. He said, I... I've got this for you. It's going to be hard. It's going to cost you something. But the Holy Spirit keeps bugging him on it. I find that those three tests, right? The eternity test, the glory test, and the is it for me test really help me decide where I should be invested with my life. But before I can even ask those questions, I got to make room for that i got to slow down enough. i got to let the Word of God goad me enough. I have to be told and understood that most of what I'm chasing is meaningless enough that I can ask those questions, that I can put those things before God. Because otherwise, I'll just keep doing what I've been doing. I'll just keep chasing the things that everyone else is chasing. And if I'm honest with you, much of my life is spent pursuing temporary things. Much of my life is spent pursuing things that give me glory, and much of my life is spent doing stuff that's none of my business. Our goal, our hope as a church, is that we would do things with eternal impact for God's glory that he's called us to do. When we do those three things, when we ask those three questions, that's a full plate. That's plenty. I'm not bored in that situation. How about you? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute with me and just have a little moment of quiet. And at home, please just be as quiet as you can here, right? And I want you to just kind of take something. Maybe it's that thing that you're like, ah, I don't know if I should do this. Or maybe it's that thing that you absolutely hate doing that you do all the time. Or maybe it's something new and fresh that God's kind of put out there. And I want you to take that thing, 
And I want you to just hold it up to the Lord. And, just, and I, if, if you can like imagine in your mind uh, these, the different chains of obligation and duty and, and practice and history and, and habit that are all attached to that thing, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit for a minute to just cut those, just clip those chains. Just come along with a big, a big old chain cutter thing and so that it's free, just for a minute. And I want you to just hold it up before God. And I want you to ask those questions. Is this, is this eternal? Lord, would you show me, is this, is this for eternity or is this just some temporary thing? And all the hard questions are about, well, I have to do this because of this, and I have to do this because of that. Just cut those free for a minute. And say, is this eternal? Does this matter for eternity or is this just something temporary? Is this something I'll be proud of that I was part of? When I stand before God, or is this something that would be better off on the trash heap? And let God speak to you about just that aspect of it. Is this something that needs to go, or is this past the eternity test? You know, and secondly, I want you to put that, leave that thing up there and ask that question. Is this for my glory, or is this for God's glory? Is this something that I'm, I'm doing because I want to make God's name famous? I want more people connected to him and his mission, his purpose, his love, his forgiveness. Or is this, is this sneakily about me? This is about my reputation and what I get and my name and what people say about me and think about me. And if it's just for you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's just for you, push it aside. And maybe it's something that's eternal. Maybe it's, it's, this is for God's glory. And then, and then let the Holy Spirit come in this question. Is this for me? Is this my business? Is this the thing you're calling me to, Lord? Or is this for somebody else? And Lord, I trust you that you're sovereign and that you have, you have, you're taking care of things. I'm not in charge of the world. You're in charge of the world. Is this the thing you have for me? Is this the thing that gets my best? Or is this just something else that's cluttering the way of the best stuff you have for me? And I want you to just let that thing sit before the Lord and ask those questions. Father, we pray that we'd be a people who are invested in eternal things. Things that are for your glory and not our own the things that you call us to, both as a church and as individuals. Let us settle for nothing less than those things. Let us not waste our lives in pursuit of money and sex and power or any of the disguises those things go under. Let us be a people who are single-minded, focused. Lord, we look to our example, Jesus Christ, in this. We have wisdom from Solomon on what not to do. Let us grab onto the truth from Christ on how to live. Who lived with eternity in mind. Who lived for your glory, Father. And who did what you called him to do. He could have done so many other things. So many things he walked by and yet he stayed single-minded, focused on the mission that you gave him. Let us learn from Solomon but live like Jesus. Let that be true of us. And we offer these things to you. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me say one last word. That word is now. 
Here's the hard part, right? Here's the way the devil works in me. Sometimes I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in. I'm ready to go. And the devil just says, he uses one little word. It's not a word, and I don't think it's a word of disobedience. He just says this. He goes, how about later? Yeah, start that tomorrow. A- after next week, when you get back from vacation, you know, just after lunch, God's word is now. <laughs> when we know what's clear from him, the word is now. Obedience is now. Remember him now. Anytime we put it after anything else, it just opens up every door for that obedience to fly away somewhere else and for us to go back to our normal habits and patterns. If God gave you something today, now is the time. Not after lunch, but now. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Have a fantastic Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.